Hey, why don't you grab your Bible? I'll preach. How about that? Are you ready for a word from God today? I'll preach. Um, Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 5. Exodus 16. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put all the verses on the screens for you. And so you can follow along. But if you have a Bible, I think it's great. I just want to challenge you if you have one to bring it. And and I'm going to encourage you to, to find an analog Bible. In other words, one you don't click. There's nothing wrong with clicking Bibles. I use them. I have a, I have a Bible on everything that I can click. But I love my analog Bible because I like to hear the pages turn. And I like to know that, yeah, oh, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, somewhere over on the re- right side of the page, about halfway down is that verse I'm looking for. I just, I like the analog Bible because I look young, but I'm old school. And so why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 5. While you're doing that, I want to welcome those who are watching online today. Can we welcome those watching online? Thank you so much for joining us. And we're so glad that you're here and taking part with us. And we just want to invite you in and 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 hope you kick off this this new year with us. And and that is fantastic as well. So thank you for, for doing church online today. Um, and so... Um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Exodus chapter 16, or Exodus 16, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Today I'm launching a new series uh, called Forward. And, and it's, it's what, what I'm doing this year that's a little bit different is, is that I'm doing a series around the fast. A lot of times I'll be doing a different series and, and then we'll be talking about the fast. But the, this year I just combined them all. And we used to do a, Awaken 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. But this year I just had this word in my spirit that, that it's time to go forward. Um, and I don't know if you felt, how many have felt like, hey, I've been stuck long enough. I've been circling long enough. I've been waiting long enough. I've been hoping long enough. I've been dreaming. But this year, I'm going forward. Whatever it looks like, I'm going forward. I'm not waiting on them. I'm not hoping on him. I'm not wishing she. I'm moving forward. I've decided for me and myself, I'm going to move forward with God. And, and, and I think that that, yeah, I'm, I'm not even preaching yet, but I'm preaching. And so that's how you know you're called to preach when you cannot even be preaching and be preaching. I could preach ordering my hamburger. Oh my God, I'd like a double meat, double cheese. Put me some pickles on there. I like mine with mayonnaise and some lettuce. I, you know what I'm saying? I can preach anything. Um, it's just my gift. Anyways, but I wanted to do a series around the fast because I wanted to call attention because what I'm asking uh, on our elders retreat, when the elders and I go away and we pray, I saw the Lord. Everything just seemed to be about this idea of going deeper with God, deeper into prayer, deeper into his word, deeper into his presence, deeper into our calling, deeper into healing, deeper into restoration, right? I mean, do you understand that, that maybe you don't have all there is to have yet? And, 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 and so with that, I thought I want to put a series around the 21 days of prayer and fasting because I want everyone to participate in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And you may be saying, I don't know what a fast is. I mean, here's what, here's what we do. Fasting is where we set aside something that is, that doesn't feed our spirit in, in order to feed our spirit. So, so instead of doing this, I'm going to, instead of feeding this, I'm going to feed this. And, and really what it helps do is it actually helps work out some of the appetites of the flesh out of us because we don't make a provision for them. Right. And, and so I want to challenge you to, to fast. And, and, and you say, what is fasting? Well, fasting is where essentially I give up something I crave to crave something that satisfies more. Now, I may not feel like it satisfies more right now. But if I'll give up something I crave to crave him more, I'll find more satisfaction in him. And so that could be media, it could be TV, it could be chocolate, it can be meat, it can be whatever you want. There's, there's a lot of different things that you can fast. And maybe it's giving up a meal, maybe it's uh, giving up uh, certain types of food, maybe it's giving up certain things. But here's the key, it's not just giving up, that's part. But it's replacing. Right? So if I, if I give up Facebook... But I increase ESPN. It's the wrong idea. 
And, and so I just want to encourage everyone to be a part. And, and, and we were offering prayer times here at the church. And those are going to be more guided tour prayer times. That's what I say. In other words, are more participatory prayer times. at Tuesdays at 6, Thursdays at 6, Saturdays at 9 for the next three weeks. Tuesday at 6, Thursday at 6, Saturday at 9. I want to invite you to come. I, I want us, listen guys, we, we, we need something. Listen to me. We need something that the world can't fix and the world can't give us and the world can't do. And, and let me just, let me go a step farther. We need something that religion can't fix. And that religion, you know what religion is? Religion is where you celebrate form instead of breakthrough. And when there's not a breakthrough, when, when we don't press hard enough, we don't dig and we don't go deep enough to get breakthrough, then we're left with religion and we learn to celebrate form and we learn to do a quiet time that doesn't have a lot of power and we learn to say things like blessed and highly favored when we're really, when, when it really just sucks right now and we're not really winning, right? And we just celebrate. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but if I am, praise God. And, and, and so... And so the problem is religion. Religion says when there's no power, that's okay. Celebrate form. Right? No one's being saved. No one's being healed. No one's being delivered. But, but we have good church services. You're probably not ready for my sermon yet. So I'm warming you up. Because I've had to wrestle with it for a few months. And so I just need to get into the, so I want everyone to participate. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Join us Tuesdays at six, Thursdays at six, Saturdays at nine, night of worship Friday night. Um, so, so let's, let's jump to the word of God because my clock has been running this whole time and I don't know what they're doing back there. I'm like, obviously this is the pre-service or the pre-sermon is the prelude. Anyways, no, um, no, don't change the clock. Anyways, uh, uh, we'll be here all day. We keep changing that clock. Anyways, yes, amen. Let's just stay all day. Thank you, sister. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16. Four, four weeks Israel has been out of Egypt. Uh, they left on Passover. And, and so they have now crossed the Red Sea. And that was four weeks ago. And now they, they have been at a place called Elam. And now they are transitioning. This is always, this is in the Bible, always cracks me up. They're transitioning to the wilderness of sin. And I think how prophetic. How many have ever been stuck in the wilderness of sin? That's all right. We're in church. Being honest, scare the hell right out of you if you'll be honest. Right? Satan's okay if you come to church. Just don't get real. Don't get honest. Don't deal with your stuff. Don't admit you have a problem. All right? And so, so they're, they're hanging out there and they start complaining because they're hungry. They're hungry. And, and God is showing them something. And see, Pharaoh, although he was, they were in slavery in Egypt, and even though Pharaoh was, was their taskmaster, ultimately, if you will, he was also their provider. That's what slavery is. I'll feed you enough to stay alive so you do what I want you to do. And so God, in a way, and this is the struggle that he hit, even though he was a bad provider, he was the only provider this generation knew. And so part of removing them from Egypt was removing them from their provider. And sometimes God will take you away from a provider so that he can become your provision. He will either replace it or he will become it. But he ultimately wants to be your provider. And your provision. And, and so now they're hungry and they're saying, hey, we, 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 we're hungry, Moses, and it's all your fault. You delivered us from slavery. Now, now we're going to die. Great. This is a great plan, Moses. And, and so Moses talks to God anyways, and, and God comes back with an answer and he starts to show them that he will not take something out of your life without replacing it or becoming it. Most of the time, I just feel like I need to say this. Most of the time, God will take something out of your life that you become dependent on that's not actually good for you. It was good for you in a season, 
but for you to move forward, you can't be, you, you can't depend on it anymore because sometimes God will put something in your life that later becomes a crutch for your life and then God has to remove it and you think he's without mercy when he's doing the most merciful thing that he could do because he's removed something. Sometimes a person, yeah, they led you to the Lord, but now they're actually holding you back because they don't want to go any farther with God, right? And so sometimes what, what actually God used in a season, he takes out in another season to show you a greater revelation. My God, this is great preaching. To show you another revelation of who he is and what he can become in your life when you're not leaning on the wrong thing. I don't know if I can ever say that again, but I'm getting the tape of this service. <laughs> Exodus 16, verse 13, it says, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. Frosted flakes, somebody. <laughs> How many like you some frosted flakes? I'm all about some tone. Oh, they're great. <laughs> When the people saw it, they said, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Can I just tell you that most of the time when God provides something in your life, it doesn't look like what you thought it should look like. And most of the time we get stuck at what it looks like instead of jumping into what he's provided. I just feel like preaching. They said, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, this is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. By the way, manna literally means, what is it? Yeah. wonder what God has put in your life and you're still scratching your head saying, what is it? <laughs> this is what the Lord has commanded. Watch this. Gather, gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. As much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, look at this, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Look at this last phrase. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. I called this message, All You Can Eat. All you can eat. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for a new year. And God, that, that we have entered into that new year. And God, while our lives may not be perfect, we could come into your presence today. We had a car to drive or a way to get here. We had a place to stay. We have clothes. We have food today, God. So we have, we have everything we need for the year that, that you, you want to bring to us. God, that, that we need to understand that if we don't have it, we didn't need it. That we have everything we need, whether it's, whether it's in, in full fruition or seed form. We have everything we need for every miracle that you want to do. God, help us to focus on you, to lean into you, to hunger and thirst for you. And God, help us to get all we can eat in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Touch somebody and say, you need to eat more. Um, <clears throat> In, in 2005, in, in, I'm sorry, in 1995, back in the 90s, kicking it 90s, where are my 90s people? Party people! Mm -hmm. That's right. Anyways, whoop, there it is. Anyway, never mind. Just had a flashback. Tag team back again. Anyways, you had to grow up in the 90s to understand that. It's okay if you grew up in another time. I can sing the Beatles for the 60s. I, I can sing the Eagles into the 70s and 80s. So I am with you, all my people, right? I, and if you're all about today, we can go, you know, whatever, harder, better, faster, stronger. Come on, Kanye. You know, he can preach a while. Anyways, um, but, but, but the 90s, in 95, uh, my parents, I think, because my brother had gone to college, and, and they, they got an idea that they were taking a family vacation. We were taking a family vacation. These kids are getting grown. And so my mom's usually the idea. She's like the mastermind of these plans. She figures them out. Dad works them out. They're a team. And, uh, and so she decided, because I play golf, my brother plays golf, my dad plays golf, and she enjoys being on a golf course, um, that, that we should go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Because in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, there are 8 million golf courses. And so we're all, we're like, we're game, they're paying, we're headed to the beach. 
So we go to the beach to play golf and, and to be on the beach. We stayed on Cano there on the beach. And, and it, was a great, it was a great vacation. But I remember this one evening where it was time to eat. And my mother told my father, you're going to have to find me some seafood. We're on the ocean and I keep craving seafood. And I'm talking about real seafood, not red lobster. As, <laughs> I'm not going to diss on Red Lobster. It's, it's, it's stood in the gap many a time for seafood, but, but there's a difference. And, and so my dad, he, she figures it out. He works it out, right? He, he, he asks around. They're like, hey, drive up here. There's this place. And so we go. And it's a really nice restaurant. And, and we walk in. It's on the water. And what we see is, is a picture of part of heaven. Because I didn't know this existed, but this is the largest seafood buffet. And I'm not, listen to me, I'm not talking about Ryan's. I'm scared to eat at Ryan's. It, that's why it closed down. Golden Corral, they're not enticing me with that chocolate fountain. I don't know what's been in that chocolate fountain. Or who's been in that chocolate fountain. I'm all about chocolate, but not secondhand. <laughs> and so, and so, and so my, my, my dad finds this, we walk in, it's a huge buffet, and we're like this, and it was like real seafood, like snow crab legs. It's like Bubba Gump worked there. We were shrimp kebabs, rolls, shrimps, shrimp scampi, right? I mean, it's shrimp, real shrimp, big shrimp like prongs, you know, and crab cakes, lobster. Oh my God, how many are just having revival right now? And so we ate. And then, and then we thought we were finished and they brought the check. And dad looked at us, he said, boys, y'all had all you want? Yes, sir. No, you haven't. Y'all going to need to go back because this is also breakfast and lunch tomorrow. Here's what dad was saying. You may have had all that you want, but you haven't had all I paid for. I wonder if dad's saying that today. I wonder if God is saying to any of us, you've had all you want, but you sure haven't had all I paid for. I paid for more than you've eaten. And maybe I don't want you to eat all you can. Maybe I want you to eat all you can stand. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus references hunger. Uh, Matthew is one of the earliest accounts of the life and ministry and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Ezekiel has a vision and he sees this being with four faces uh, a man, an ox, an eagle, a lion. And, and really those relate to the four gospels. They, they all show different, they show Jesus, but kind of different perspectives. Um, John is the eagle. That's the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So, right. Luke, Luke shows us the humanity, a man face, the humanity of Christ. Uh, Mark shows us the, that Christ was the suffering servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's the ox, the servant. But Matthew, one of the earliest accounts of the, of the life and ministry and crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus, shows Jesus as the king. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it kind of opens up with the birth of a king. Um, and, and, and then it kind of goes from the birth of a king to, to the announcing of a kingdom. In fact, Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 4 
It says, and he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I, I, would, I would really, I don't have time to preach this, but just to, to jar it, if you've been with us any amount of time, if not, there's a video, a podcast or somewhere, some, something about this. Um, but if you'll go back, I think last year I did a series called Gospel, probably a great resource. But the, the real gospel message is not that you can die and go to heaven. The real gospel message is that the king came with a kingdom. And he established a foothold of his kingdom and we are called to advance that kingdom until he returns. And and so the gospel is that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is present. The reign of God, the rule of God. And that's where he goes with this. The king is born. There's the gospel of the kingdom. Then he talks about the reign of the kingdom and how the reign of the kingdom will come through a family that Jesus is is the firstborn, right? And, And we become the family of God. And then he administrates the kingdom, which is what ministry is. Ministry is administrating, administrates the kingdom. And then it says, it goes about healing all who are sick and oppressed of the devil. And he gets a movement started. And then one day he goes, this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Most people aren't sure exactly what mount it was on, but it would have been probably on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum, up on the side of a hill. And he starts, it's the longest discourse that Jesus gives continuously in the Gospels. We see it Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where he's at in Matthew chapter 5. And this is the very beginning. And he gets into this thing called the Beatitudes. And I just want to read one scripture. And then I'll spend the rest of my time talking about hunger and eating all you can. Matthew 5 verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You have to understand, the king has been born, the, the kingdom message has gone out, the, then he is showing the reign of the kingdom and how it comes through the people of God, then, then he shows the administration of the kingdom. Now, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he is talking about how the kingdom works. How the kingdom works. If the church knew more about how the kingdom works and less about how the earth worked, we'd be better off. And so he is trying to teach us how to think, how to understand, how to perceive how the kingdom works, how the reign and realm of the kingdom that is present and accessible to us actually works. And then he comes to this, blessed are the poor, blessed are me, and then he gets, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And that's what I want to talk about. All you can eat, write this down, three things very quickly. Number one, this is going to blow your mind, but your happiness is associated with your hunger. Your happiness is associated with your hunger. He said, blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who hunger. Can can I tell you this? Living a blessed life has more to do with what you hunger for than what you hope for. And my concern, and, and I don't know, probably all of us this morning, see, before I get to preach something, I have to wrestle with it. And so I have no toes left because the Holy Spirit has had a dance party on my toes. So I'm just going to encourage you for the rest of this message to pull your toes in. Okay. I'm concerned that in modern day Christian, the church hopes for a lot more than it hungers for. Well, I hope somebody'd get saved. Well, I'd hope somebody get healed. Well, I hope we'd have some peace. Well, I hope we'd have some joy. But see, hoping for something and hungering for something are not the same. Hoping that someone gets saved is good. Getting on your face and interceding for the lost is different. I I hope someone shows up tomorrow and gives me a check for five million dollars. Because that's about what we need to finish the building. That'd be great for me. That's a good hope. I hope that this year I go on a vacation that involves sand and surf. That's a good hope. But there's a difference between hope and hunger. Truthfully, if it's biblical hope, it will drive you to biblical hunger. Um, Blessed are those who hunger. The word blessed there actually means happy. Happy. I mean, what Jesus is actually saying is like, hey, let me show you how to be happy. That, That happiness 
actually has a lot to do with what you hunger for. I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but there are a lot of people hungry for a lot of things who have a lot of things and still aren't happy because they just hunger for the wrong things. And, and whatever I hunger for, whatever I desire, whatever I yearn for, whatever I, I go after is going to determine the level of contentment in my life. And when I hunger, he said, happy are those, you say this way, happy are those who hunger and thirst because they will be filled. And we can say something else, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, he said, there is something you can hunger for that will fill you, that will satisfy you. And there are just other things you can hunger for, but even if you're filled with them, you will not be satisfied by them. You will just want something else. You will need something else. You will continue to crave, but not be filled up, right? I remember one time, um, I was having one of those days where I just could not find the bottom. Have you ever had one of those days? I'm just eating. Just like everything was good. It sounded good. I don't, it, it wasn't even that it was good. I was just hungry. I just kept eating, kept eating, kept eating, kept eating. And finally, I, I thought to myself, like, my God, how much am I going to eat? And finally, I heard the, the Holy Spirit say to me, he's like, you're not hungry for food. And I thought, I'm glad you told me now. Because I was about to hurt myself trying to get full. He said, you have a different kind of hunger pain that, that, that is, is more about my, my presence. See, you were created with a, with a diet in mind. Just like your physical body needs certain foods. You, you were created with an appetite with a certain nutrients in mind. In the, in the garden, he made Adam and Eve. And he, there was this tree of life, remember? And it had a, you could actually pull life off of it and eat it. And there was a tree of, of knowledge and you could pull knowledge off. And, and the problem in the garden was Adam and Eve hungered for the right thing, but tried to fill it with the wrong thing. But, but there was, remember, he set a limit on knowledge, don't eat. But on life, he said, eat all you want. Why? Because this is what you were made for. See, Jesus didn't come to make you religious. He came to make you alive. Yeah. He is the tree of life. Yeah. Right? In fact, he even, Jesus actually says this, John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You were created with an appetite in mind. And your happiness is really contingent upon your hunger. Hunger for the wrong things, you'll never find happiness. Hunger for the right thing, and you can find contentment. Here's the second thing out of this simple verse, really. You're filled according to your hunger. You're filled according to your hunger. He said, those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Not might. Not could be, not I'll think about it. Those who are hunger and thirst will be filled. Um, supply and demand is not really a, a church colloquialism. It's more of a business concept. Um, there's a lot of reasons why businesses fail. There, there, there are several reasons why businesses can succeed. But one, one, is, one constant as far as why businesses fail or concede is, is this idea of supply and Demand. I love to watch Shark Tank. My youngest Briggs likes to watch Shark Tank with me. Um, I just I love it when it gets real cutthroat and everybody gets uncomfortable. And um, <clears throat> I also love it when the people tell the sharks off because they're not intimidated, even though they're billionaires. Like I don't care who you are. Shut up. That's my favorite. It doesn't happen a lot because they're trying to make a deal. But when it does, I'm like, yeah, stick it to the man. <laughs> and so. Um, so, but, but I've, I've seen on there, uh, a, a, from time to time, someone will come in and because of something in their life, you know, uh, necessity, you know, is, is where all invention comes from. I think somebody really smart said that. Um, but, but because of a situation or circumstance or something that happened, they, they create something and they'll come in and, and occasionally the sharks will even say, you know, it's, it's a good thing, but there's no market for it. In other words, you're, you're supplying something good, but there's not enough demand. And it doesn't matter how good what you supply is. If there's no demand, your business is going to be short-lived. 
What they're saying essentially is the supplier is at the mercy of the demander. If there's no hunger, there's no need for dinner. Right? And really, it's the same with God. God is inexhaustible. He is without limit. He supplies, one verse says, in your presence is fullness of joy and life forevermore. So God is a supplier of the highest quality and highest quantity you could ever hope for. But what drives the market is not, not the quality and quantity of his supply. What drives it is actually how much demand there is. Because God cannot fill you with something that you are not hungry for. Doesn't matter how good he is. Doesn't matter how big he is. Doesn't matter how much he paid for. It just matters how hungry you are. Doesn't matter what he's supplying. I think it would be good to note here that God doesn't supply based on need. He supplies based on demand. Ask, seek, knock, call unto me, draw near to me, Give, and then it will be. God doesn't supply based on need. You can need him all you want. It's when you put a demand on him that he shows up. One verse even says this, that in, in, in Nazareth there, in, in the town, Jesus, Jesus, God, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus, that guy. Jesus Christo, right? That, that's the guy. Could do no mighty works. God, who can do anything but fail, couldn't do anything there. And it wasn't because they didn't have lost people or sick people. It was because no one placed a demand on what he could supply. And God doesn't supply based on need. He supplies based on demand. That's why faith is the currency of God's kingdom. Faith is what places a demand. Remember the centurion? Jesus, I don't even need you to come to my house. If you'll speak the word, my servant will be well. And he said, I've never seen faith. What happened? He just, by faith, placed a demand. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? Would you please heal my daughter? Jesus even says, look, you're a Syrophoenician. I'm not supposed to help you. This is all about Jews. And he said, is it good to take the children's bread, meaning deliverance, and give it to little dogs? He wasn't trying to be rude. He's just working inside culture. And her response is, oh, I don't need bread. I just need a crumb. And her faith placed a demand on what he could supply. And he said, go, your daughter's going to be just fine. He's not going to supply based on need. He's going to supply based on hunger. We read it, Exodus 16, verse 17. It says, the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Let me ask you, what do you want to gather? Some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. Here's what he said. They gathered, listen to me, they didn't gather based on size. They gathered based on appetite. The only stipulation was you can't have any left over. God said, you can have all you can eat. But right now, I'm proving to you that I'm the provision, so you can't try to save some. And of course, Israel, being Israel, tried to save some. It had maggots in it the next morning. Can you imagine looking at manna or bread with maggots in it and how it smelled and then having to go out and eat manna? 
with that image and that smell. Like, what's, I'd like some bacon and eggs now because the thought of man is making me sick. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to eat manna again, dummy. Because <laughs> I'm trying to show you that I'm the bread of life. And so, so listen, they weren't filled based on need. They were filled based on appetite. God is inexhaustible, but he relegates his supply. to. If God fed us what he wanted to feed us, he would blow us up. So he only feeds us, he legislates his supply to the degree, to, to the degree of our demand. C.S. Lewis, in, in his, um, his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Now, if you feel like that was mean, I didn't write it. You talk to C.S. Lewis. See, see, in the kingdom, you're no, you'll never be filled with something you don't first hunger for. And, and this kind of gives me a, a new, if I'm Satan, it kind of gives me a new way of attack. Because if I can't get you with sin, and I can't get you with circumstance, then, then if I can't keep you from the table, I'll let you show up, I'll just make sure you're not hungry. Oh, I don't have a problem if you go to church as long as you're on Instagram and Facebook and thinking about lunch the whole time or getting scores for the game. He doesn't have a problem if you come to church. He doesn't have a problem if you come to church as long as you stand out in the lobby and drink coffee for the first 30 minutes while worship's going on. That doesn't bother him at all. I'm sorry. When I stand before God... I have to answer for saying what's right and true, even if it's not what we like. He doesn't have a problem with you having a quiet time as long as you get distracted by your phone and text in the time that you've allotted for him. He doesn't have a problem with you coming into worship as long as you're looking around at what everybody else is doing and, and, and complaining because you don't like that particular song or you think it might be too loud or it might be too soft or why can't they turn it up? Why can't they turn it down? Is it too cold in here? Is it too hot in here? He doesn't have a problem if you come to the table as long as he can get your appetite. As long as he can keep you from eating, he'll let you sit at the table and starve to death. There's, there's a lot of things that really affect our appetite. I'll give you three. Number one is pain. Have you ever noticed if you hurt bad enough, food doesn't seem to taste right? And so sometimes, sometimes we're dealing with so much pain in our lives and we're so focused on the pain that we start losing our appetite. So sometimes, sometimes when we lose hope, we lose our appetite. You ever notice that? You've been praying for a situation and it's not working out or it's not going the way you think it should or hoped it would or whatever the case may be. And the next thing you know, because you've lost hope that anything is going to change, all of a sudden you notice, I'm not really praying as much. I'm not really stepping into God's presence. I haven't been to church in a month. And all of a sudden you realize pain, hope, they have a lot. In fact, when people give up hope in life, a lot of times families are faced with a decision. Do we want to, to feed them artificially? to sustain their life or allow them to because this person's in pain they've given up hope but you know another reason my mama taught me that we're not hungry is because we eat the wrong things because I was I was a little boy I was healthy enough for three or four boys uh, or schools and um and uh, I remember uh, daddy came home at, at about between, he was at Oilfield, so he started early in the morning, but he got home usually around 4.30, 4.45. Between 4.30 and 5, he was usually home. And, uh, and so about 4 o'clock, I'd be like, Mom, I'm hungry. And she, and you know, can I have a cookie? And she said, oh, honey, you can't have a cookie right now. Mama's making chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes because Mama knew how to cook. She had an anointing. She still does. <laughs> it is holy. You give her oil. 
and you'll be amazed at the food that will come out of there. She will anoint it. And she will bless it. She will lay hands on it. Mm. Mm, the Holy Ghost gets involved in that somehow. Anyways, um, and and so so so, but she would say, "Boy, you can't you can't have a cookie right now because what? You'll spoil your appetite." I wonder if sometimes because uh, religion has not offered us enough. And, and, and I'm going to say maybe the pulpit hasn't given us enough encouragement or stirred our hearts enough. I wonder then if we've turned to the religious idea of satiating our appetites with what religion can offer, what the world can offer with, with prosperity and blessing so much so that we no longer hunger for the deep things of God. Because here's what I know, you're going to be filled based on what what you hunger for. Do you know this is why we come to church, by the way? We come to church, supposedly, the, the way it's supposed to work. We suppo- we're supposed to come to church not under obligation or religious duty or to make ourselves feel better. Nothing wrong with feeling better. Absolutely. I hope you feel better when you leave. That's w- one of our goals is that you leave here with a smile on your face, not the look of, I just went through a colonoscopy. And so we, we want you to feel better when you leave. But that's not the only reason to come. The, 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 and, and the key to that happiness, by the way, is hunger, that, that you come here and together we corporately place a demand on God and let him supply through his body and through his spirit. We're filled with what we hunger for. Here, here's the third thing. Write this down. Your hunger is your responsibility. You know, sometimes, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we like to make other people responsible for things that really it's not theirs to be responsible for. And sometimes we think that God is supposed to manage our hunger and our appetites. Or maybe the pastor is supposed to make us hungry. Uh, or, or maybe our devotion is supposed to make us hungry. By the way, we do have a 21-day devotional on our app and on our website that the staff wrote for you day by day. So if you all want to follow along in that, you can. it's on the app, it's on the website, you can download it, uh, or just click it day by day. But, <clears throat> but, but, but maybe we think someone else or something else is supposed to make us hungry. When Jesus actually said, blessed are, look at this word, those who hunger. In other words, there are people who hunger, there are those who hunger, and there are those who don't. And he said the happy people are the ones that learn to steward their hunger. Those, those who, those who hunger. That, that essentially what he's saying, this is kind of crazy because we think, well, hunger is what hunger is. And what he's saying is, no, 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 you're the master of your hunger. Yes. You actually, did you know this? You actually cultivate your own hunger. Yes. Um. How do we cultivate hunger? Well, um, you know, in, in the natural, our bodies, you know, burn calories and therefore we get hungry. So, you know, just like breathing, you know, breathing happens naturally in our physical bodies because without it, life doesn't go long. Right? Like, was it like four or five minutes, I think, or something like that without air and, and you're, you're, you're pretty much game over? You can go 40 days without food, you know, what, like 11, 14 days without water, whatever it is. Don't email me. I don't care. I'm not, not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not trying to make a point. Sometimes I say things, people email me, well, scientifically, and they like, they, they go Wikipedia or old school uh, Encyclopedia Britannica on me. I'm like, listen, I was just, it wasn't in my notes. I was just making up as I went along. It's freestyling. <laughs> I didn't do the research. But, um, but the point is, you can't go along without breathing, but your body is made to breathe, but you have to force your spirit to breathe. You have to teach your spirit. What, what, do, you, what, what do you say? My words, my words, every word of God is breathed. Second Timothy 3, 16. The word of God is God breathed, one version says. How do I breathe? His word, his spirit. Like I, I can literally suffocate my spirit. And, and, and so we actually cultivate our hunger spiritually. And, and one of the ways you cultivate hunger, do you know what a hunger pain is? It's a feeling of, of deficiency. One of the ways we cultivate hunger, one of the ways we feel hunger 
is coming to the conclusion or understanding that we're lacking something. If you go without food for a day, you're going to feel a rumbly in your tummy, Winnie the Pooh. And you're going to want some honey because your tummy is going to have a feeling that there's lack, deficiency. I'm not getting something I was supposed to get. And, and so a lot of times that's the way it is with spiritual hunger. It's just that with spiritual hunger, we have to be aware and engaged enough of what we're supposed to have that we realize we don't have it. If we think this is all there is, we won't hunger for anything else. Well, how do you do that? Well, when you read the Bible and when you meet with God and when you talk to God, what does God say about your life? What does God say about your relationships? Because God tells me there's supposed to be peace. Do I have peace? There's supposed to be joy. There's supposed to be purpose. There's supposed to be freedom. There's supposed to be an anointing on my life that impacts other people's lives. And so in order for me to get hungry, sometimes I have to realize maybe this isn't all there is. Maybe, maybe not nothing wrong with where we're at, but maybe there's something more. If I don't know there's anything more, I'll never be hungry for it. See, the problem I have is I was, I was raised in church. That's one problem. That's why I think religion sucks because I've been around it my whole life. Because religion offers form and not breakthrough. The other problem I have is I was reborn in my teenage years in a revival in our church. And I know what, I know what glory feels like. See, you young guys like me and below, I say that and you're like, what glory? I don't know glory. Glory is LeBron James dunking a ball. That's not glory. It was glorious to watch Tiger win. But it's not the same. I know what the presence of God is so strong that it overwhelms you and you feel like you entered part of heaven. I know what that's like. And because I know what that's like, I can't be happy with where we're at. It's not that where we're at is not good. It's not good people. I don't love you. I, I love you. I love the church. I love where we're at. I love my job. I love everything about what we're doing. I just think we're not there yet. There's more. Because according to the Bible, lame people are supposed to walk. Well, I don't believe in healing. Then don't believe in healing, but leave those alone of us that want to, by faith, place a demand on God. The problem is I've seen too many miracles that screwed me up so much that I know they're possible. And if you don't want a miracle, it's because you don't need one. But if you need one, you'll pray for one. You'll hunger for one. You'll thirst for God to move. You'll get on your face and ask God, do you really need breakthrough? We're so content with nothing. We don't press in for more. I'm about to go H.B. Byram on y'all. That was my grandpa. He was left-handed. And so he preached just like this with a, a microphone in his right hand, and he did all of his gestures with his left hand. I'm right-handed, but I preach like pop. He'd do this. That man, that man you better be tracking. Anyways, but, but here's the thing. So let me give you this. Number one, if we're going to be hungry, we have to realize what we don't have. Yeah, we, we've got to get into God enough. The, 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 other thing, the other thing about cultivating hunger, number one is hunger is an assessment uh, of deficiency. Number two is cultivating hunger. Your cravings are determined by your consumption. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, natural hunger uh, comes about because you don't eat. Spiritual hunger comes about because you start eating the right things. You, you cultivate what you want to be hungry for. You want to be hungry for God. Some of you are sitting here like, man, I wish I was really hungry for God. Go to a prayer meeting. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his word. Right? Stop, stop doing the, the religious rigor of a quiet time and say, I'm going to take this 30 minutes and just try to connect with God by his spirit. I'm not going to do just the devotion to prayer. You know, nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe if you're in a rut, change something up. 
But say, I'm going to find his presence. I want to feel his presence. Challenge God. God, I want more. I want you to reveal yourself, to show yourself, to, 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 to give me a revelation, to, to bring me some understanding. God, I want, I want more. I, I, guess, I guess here's what I'm saying. According, according, according to the Bible, according to this thing that we are involved in, um, that, that we, we, say, we say there's supposed to be a love that satisfies every soul, yet how many Christians are on Tinder? We, we, we say that there is a life that can overwhelm every symptom of death. We, we, we say that there is peace, but, but, but how many Christians are trying to find it in a substance? Our relationship. We, 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 say, we say there's a joy, but how many are trying to find it in a new house, a new car, a new trip? We say as believers that there is a purpose, but how many of us are just substituting ambition in this world for purpose in his kingdom? We say that there's supposed to be fulfillment, but how many of us are trying to find that at the lake house instead of the church house? By the way, I am not against lake houses, and if you want to invite me, I will so come. Not on Sunday, but I will be out there on Saturday tearing stuff up. Anyways, we say that there's freedom, but how many of us have just decided we're going to live the rest of our lives in bondage? We say there's healing, but how many of us have stopped praying for it? I guess what I'm saying, Jesus said, happy are those who hunger. Here's my question. Are you happy? And if you're not happy, maybe it's because you're not hungry for the right things. What I love about our church is that I can preach a message like this and know that you'll go with me. And you'll say, okay, well, let's get hungry. Okay, I feel a hunger coming on for something. Okay, I'm going to be here for prayer. And I'm going to be here for worship night if I can. And we're going to we're, we're come to the table. And we're going to demand that God feed us something. That only he can satisfy, that only our souls will be satisfied. God loved us so much. He said, you can't be satisfied with anything besides me. And we're going to say, you know what we're going to lay down in this month, this 21 day. We're laying down everything that we thought was satisfying our soul and said, no, 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 no. We know that happiness and blessing and a blessed life comes from the right hunger and hungering for the right thing. We're going to say, we're going to come to the table every weekend. We're going to come to the table, to the prayer meeting. We're going to come to the prayer, to the worship night, to the presbytery. We're going to come to the table of the Lord. Because he said, whosoever will. And I'm feeling pretty hungry. And I feel like he's a good cook. All right. Why don't you stand with me?